The um, although the practice podcast, I think, really makes the second one go a lot more smoothly. <laughs> um, you know, especially by I actually had forgotten that we did the whole that we did almost that whole thing twice last time. Yeah, it was uh, it was amazing. It to was do it, to live it two times. <laughs> what was the story we forgot to get in the second time? Which do that I, right now. Well, at this point, it's been a month, so I don't remember. Me either. Yeah, we de- we definitely missed a big chunk of it the second time through. I remember that, but there, I don't remember what it was. Yeah, there was one piece. There was something. We'll never know. It's on the cutting room floor. Do we cut audio files? Um. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Uh, there's not a floor per se, but yeah. So, um, March we have about twelve more hours, uh, nine, uh, eleven more hours on the East Coast. To uh, to get a podcast in, yeah, I think, think we'll, we can do it. Yeah, I think we'll go with uh, East Coast time. We're not going to make GMT. Um, I will try to get it out before midnight uh, Central time and before midnight Eastern time. We can we can do this. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. You've tuned into the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Two guys and occasional guests talking about the news in NCAA Division Three football. We're the largest division with seemingly the longest offseason. And I'm Pat Coleman, the guy in charge of D3Football.com. Keith McMillan, co-host here on uh, podcast number 236. You've been around for a while. I don't know. Is the music still rolling? This is where you introduce yourself. Yeah, I think... Uh... About 233 of the 236 podcasts, I've I've been your co-host. That makes me uh, the March Madness, maybe, to your opening day. Or uh, since I'm based in D.C., I'm the the cherry blossom and you're the lady slipper. Did did you know that lady slipper was the Minnesota state flower? I did not. I was just going to go straight to the Minnesota state bird and I would be be the loon to your cherry blossom. I think that probably works. Mm -hmm. That would make sense. And yeah, there's plenty of loons here in D.C. too. Well, there are plenty of them uh, all over the place. It is a uh, time of year where you know uh, people are back out on the practice field in uh, most places around Division Three. It is time for spring practice. Spring practice at the Division Three level is not like spring practice at the D1 level. It typically doesn't end in a spring game. It doesn't involve pads. Hey, it, at least we're allowed to have a football these days uh, and that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, for uh, a bit of a reminder for people, if you're turning tuning in newly for the first time here or if you are someone who had maybe a freshman at a Division three school this past fall and is going through spring practice for the first time, this is a little bit different. Yeah, I, I come from the era, Pat, when uh, spring practice was – you weren't allowed to have a coach and a football there at the same time. So they could coach you uh, and you could walk through stuff or you could, we used to play speed ball, which was kind of just basically us staying in shape. It was um, move the ball down the field game without uh, any football actually strategy to it. But I think what happens nowadays, and this comes from talking to some coaches recently uh, too, is, is um, people earn jobs in the spring. They separate themselves from their, their competition during the spring and they install a lot of the basic stuff so that when they start back up in the, uh, in the fall or really in, in the end of the summer, um, they have a baseline, I guess, expectation of what everybody can do, but also like what it, the basic stuff is in so they can start to teach more advanced stuff to the people who are returning. 
last month in uh, podcast number 235, we talked with Don Beebe, the new head coach at Aurora, about what uh, his expectations were going into spring practice. Sometimes you're a head coach who gets hired and you go right into spring practice without even really an opportunity to move into your office or meet your guys or that sort of thing. And, and that's what happened with uh, William Patterson, Coach Dustin Johnson last year. This year, having a, a, a full season under his belt, moving into spring practice. We'll chat with him a little bit later on in this podcast as well. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, can't have a can't have a coach and the ball at the same time. That is a that's something that's definitely changed, and it is something for you know coaches who have uh, you know have been established and are not kind of coming in cold because that sometimes happens. You have an opportunity to you know kind of work on installing your offense if you're thinking about changing things or you, you've brought in a new coordinator if you've got them here yeah. in time this is an opportunity for them to get to their playbook in front of the guys and at least you know in a I don't know I always think of it like a seven on seven situation or you know basically like you said stuff without stuff without pads yeah and, and I don't I can't tell you off top how many years we've we've had spring practice maybe a dozen or 15 years, but yeah. it's a change that came from the, the D3 membership itself because we got to a point where it was kind of absurd. If your team's season ended in November, you don't start back up until August. You spend much more time not playing football than you do playing football. And as much as we want to keep the focus in D3 on academic and other opportunities that you have on campus, it's just silly to prevent yourself from doing this thing that you get really good at. I mean, you're among the best people in the world at playing the sport and you're just not allowed to do it for three quarters of the time. So having the spring practice really does make a difference. And uh, I know the, the the coaches and the players appreciate it. Yeah, I think it was about 2004, about 15 years ago. And one of the big reasons why it was able to be voted in in a in a in a, in a way the Division Three membership is not super on board with football in general. Uh, 240, some of us have football, but there are 400 members, so almost half of the membership doesn't even have the sport. Uh, but because soccer gets a full spring practice and baseball and softball get a full fall practice, it was you know it was a, a lack of opportunities for football players to have the same sort of thing that everybody else has. Now that we have not gotten to the point where we have you know, full helmets and pads, and maybe that will come, maybe it won't. Um, that kind of takes one of the Twitter questions that we got this week, but uh, that's basically why we don't have a spring game because we can't get enough uh, Division Three members to sign off on it. And it's not just the ones that don't have football that vote against it. There's plenty of schools that have football that do not want to have this addition to spring practice. Part of it for staffing purposes, uh, spring in Division Three, especially, people are spread really thin. You have to have uh, athletic training staff on hand for uh, you know f for even more. You know what am I trying to say here? There, they'd be on the hook for even more uh, responsibility for football in the spring if we added pads and added uh, spring you know spring ball spring game. Yeah, for sure. Football is a uh, high. Use high maintenance sport, right? You're high maintenance, but you think you're low maintenance. There's lots of equipment. There are lots of injuries, and uh, there are certainly a lot of people involved. So I can, you can, even if you don't agree with it, you can understand. I think where some of those schools are coming from. So if you're in the middle of that, we uh, wish you luck. Have fun out there. Stay warm. I don't know. Obviously, the weather runs the gamut this time of year. 
Uh, it's uh, off season, and we finally got the opportunity to wrap up two long-term uh, legal questions that have been hanging out there. One in which we finally closed the book on the Wheaton case. We finally closed the book on D'Angelo Fulford's case in Florida. Uh, quickly about Wheaton, if you don't remember, because this uh, the incident occurred in 2016, and most of the legal stuff got taken care of about a year ago. Uh, the final player uh, who had not yet um i think not yet taken a plea deal now i gotta be careful about that so uh, but anyway benjamin petway uh pleaded guilty was sentenced to court supervision in order to perform 50 hours of community service on a charge of uh, misdemeanor disorderly conduct based on a hazing incident back in 2016 five guys were eventually uh uh, uh, taken off of the team back in 2017. Am I am I right on this now, Keith? It's been that long ago, right? This was not last year that the other that these five guys were uh, were on the roster and then removed. That's correct. All right, this stuff goes back a long way. Uh, we go back a little over a year to finally uh, finish off the D'Angelo Fulford case as well. Of course, that's the quarterback for Mount Union who uh, was driving on a suspended license and then did not show up for court date in Ohio. And because of those actions, it was discovered there was an outstanding warrant for his arrest down in Florida. That case uh, went in and out of the courts many times over the course of the past 14 or so months, and the charges were finally dropped. So we may never know why. Uh, we have, uh, we've, we've placed phone calls to people down in Florida to try to find out why. Uh, I suspect we won't learn anything in Ohio along these lines. So that is done. We can check the box, I guess, never really knowing what happened. But it'll be nice, I think, for for the Mountain Union community to not have to deal with that part of, of the equation and just root for their quarterback to uh, to bring the championship back to Alliance. We saw, and I think we talked about this in a previous podcast, that he would have gone through the surgery for not the injury that he suffered at the end of the stag bowl that kept him out of the final play, but the one that he had gotten earlier in the year and kind of hobbled him, kept him off of the field for a game and just kind of limited his mobility and therefore limited his effectiveness throughout the playoffs. Was there a question there? I know, but you, I often oh. throw you things that aren't questions. You kind of run with them anyway. So I've, maybe I've gotten lazy. <laughs> um, maybe that was a, that was a pitch that was a little outside of my, uh, range and it's now a fumble or we're trying to get it ruled a lateral <laughs> yes the official is pointing to the ground this is a fumble the ball was illegally touched but it was also and it was then recovered by the kicking team however there was a holding by the receiving team number 57 that penalty will be enforced from the previous spot or replay fourth down. Players who are on 2019 Division Three rosters are not the only people working out. There are people working out who want to be on NFL rosters in 2019. And just to kind of throw out the names of some of the people who have been, you know, uh, talked about in terms of pro days and that sort of thing. Not necessarily that these guys are all draftees, uh, certainly because we actually haven't had a guy drafted in uh, Division Three for several years now, or even guys necessarily lined up to be on uh, NFL rosters for uh, rookie camp or anything like that, but uh, all guys who are getting notices, getting notices, that's a different thing, getting notice right now. I, we saw uh, Jared Ruth taking, uh, uh, taking passes in uh, preparation for work. That's the wide receiver for Mount Union. Spencer Thompson Myers, pretty interesting to me. He's the kicker from St. Norbert, a guy who, you know, came in there as a freshman, uh, already 
able to uh, really change the game for them in terms of uh, 50-yard field goals and beyond. Uh, guys like uh, Luke McFadden and Stuart Walters from Johns Hopkins, Markeith Miller from Mary Harden Baylor, Nick Giorgio of Springfield, uh, Hayden Bowserman, remember the quarterback from Shenandoah, Kalik Burroughs and Alex Kemp from Wesley, a bunch of guys getting workouts, and there will, of course, be many more. Yeah, well, I think the neat thing about, about it, too, over the past, I don't know, five or so years is that this group kind of reflects the the type of talent that is uh, across D3 in the sense that you've got your your Markeith Miller guy playing the national championship game, um, Luke McFadden, Stuart Walters, who are deep in the playoffs, Hayden Bowserman, who was a a um, Gallardi Trophy candidate. And then, you know, you look in the NFL, some of the guys who are who are still playing, um, you know, like Nicholas Morrow from Greenville, who's linebacker for the Raiders, yeah. a Derek Carrier, tight end who out of Beloit, the guys who make it in the NFL, like there are opportunities and they're not always guys from Mountain Union, UMHB and uh, and Whitewater and the top programs in D3. That's a really good point. I, you know, Morrow comes comes out of nowhere. We had uh, we had talked to him back in the, this is 2017, right? The 2017 preseason in kickoff, you know, as a guy to watch. But that's still a guy to watch from Greenville, a guy to watch in the UMAC against UMAC competition. Uh, I know it's to the point where it's become cliche now that to say that uh, no matter where you are, if you have talent, the NFL will find you. But I feel like uh, Nick Morrow is really the 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 test case for that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there are there are certainly a couple out of D three, but and and we've talked to them over the years on the podcast uh, ways to find your opportunity. And so, for those of you who listen, especially if you're players um, or if you're a coach with a direct line to a player who still has this dream and wants to take it seriously, you know, it can happen. We all know that the odds are really long from D three, but uh, but it's certainly not impossible. So these guys, the guys you mentioned, Pat, will get into a. Um, at camp if they don't they don't get drafted maybe priority uh undrafted free agent signings if not they may get invited to a rookie tryout camp and they'll be one of the 90 man roster spots uh you know by that usually by that time there are really only a few spots available so you really have to stand out yeah. but it can be done and uh and we'll see um probably a dozen or so uh d3 names in camp maybe more than that uh when uh, when august rolls around yeah, that would be uh, that would be in line with what we've had and and what we expect uh, from previous years. I met I missed mentioning Mason McKenrick of John Carroll among that list of uh, guys there. So yeah, if you're not drafted in April, if you're listening to the podcast and you're uh, in contention for being drafted, congratulations. I hope you're listening to this while working out or something. And then uh, you know, good luck. We will keep following you no matter what beyond that. One thing I'm curious about that, I, that I'm sort of going to interject, I wonder if the AAF, right, the Alliance of American Football, this new league that has begun play yeah. this uh, this spring, if it uh, doesn't go out of business, right? If, if that means there are more opportunities for guys in D3 to play pro football, to be seen. Of course, there's um, the Arena League seems to be the, um, the main other one that's been uh, – commercially viable for the past 20 25 years uh, as a alternative to the NFL but if the AAF sticks around you know when I was coming out in 98 uh, it was one year before the XFL so I didn't have an opportunity to do that and not that I would have made it anyway but um, the guys that I guys that I played against the next year all of a sudden with the XFL there was opportunity there were just more tryouts more um, 
jobs available and, and that league didn't last very long. But the, the point is that if there is an alternative to the NFL, sort of a stop between arena and CFL and the NFL, um, sometimes that that we're the we are the group that benefits. Uh, Kevin Burke, the former Mount Union quarterback, was on an AAF roster for about a week back in February. Uh, and we'll talk with uh, when we talk with Dustin Johnson, uh, aforementioned uh, a little bit later, he talks about his pro career after having played quarterback at Salisbury. He played a couple of years in arena ball as well. So there's some talk about that for people who are interested. It's a time of year where schedules come out. We have been kind of I've been kind of furiously, furiously, fastidiously, fastly, uh, furiously. We're going to go with one of those words. I didn't even make up a word. I just picked three wrong words there. Um, putting together the team pages for 2019 basically is what I was trying to get at. As of the point of this recording, we are up through the letter N <laughs> going alphabetically. About 175 or so schools in. So uh, by the time you end up listening to this podcast, you may well be able to see all 247 Division Three football schedules or what we have of them. Obviously, not everybody has announced all of their games this year for uh, for 2019. There are some schools that are still looking for games. I'm pretty sure Wesley is still looking for games, uh, for example, because the New Jersey Athletic Conference loses two teams, right? You know, Frostburg State leaves to go to Division Two. Southern Virginia is going from the NJAC to the Old Dominion Athletic Conference, and that means that there's two more non-conference games for the, for the NJAC schools to fill. What I liked is that I saw Hobart's schedule, and Hobart is playing both Rowan and Montclair State, so that's two NJAC opponents, and that's really a, a, signifies a change in attitude for Hobart. That's the first time that they've played a an NJAC team that they voluntarily scheduled an NJAC team. Let's put it that way since 2006, and that's the only one. That's only that was only one game in 21 years. So Kevin Dewall, the new head coach at uh, at Hobart uh, starting last year, getting a chance to maybe flex his muscles in the scheduling department and making some changes. And I think it's probably maybe some um, some philosophical difference, but also remember the the Liberty League is now a smaller football league. It's it's uh, six teams, five games built in so that you need games. And, and there aren't that many open games or, around the East Coast anymore because it used to be there were a handful of independents school starting up but everybody's kind of landed in a conference now and so it's it's just harder to come by games when you need to fill that many because there's so many uh 10 11 nine team conferences now that, that there just aren't that many dates uh the liberty league is seven for this year for what it's worth this is the year that buffalo state moves over from the empire eight to the liberty league so now both of those conferences have seven I definitely knew as I was saying that that I was forgetting something <laughs> and I didn't know what I was forgetting. So I couldn't go back and fix it. But I was like, uh, uh, I'm probably forgetting something here. Uh, in any case, I think the point still remains that if you have a seven team league, you have six games built in, you still need to fill four. And um, I thought the schedules, there's there are a couple really interesting games that stood out to me. I've, I've been going through what was on the site for uh, top 25 caliber teams because I, I wrote the Street and Smiths preview Ooh. this year. And it's, um yeah, it's nice to have it in the family, so to speak. But yeah. it um it's also kind of a really big, I don't know if burden is the right word, but just because it's so early and we're so used to doing this for kickoff when there's so much more information available. Yeah. And uh, it was really interesting to go through, Pat, and see which teams had their schedules out and which ones didn't. 
what I'd like to point out is that there are a couple of great games in September this year. Great in the sense that I think these are going to be good clashes, but also just ones we teams we just have not seen play before. Uh, Linfield has a home and home with Rowan, which I think is uh, pretty interesting. And the last time Linfield's gone cross country, I think was maybe that Wesley playoff game uh, several years back. They've all, they also went cross. They've had Hampton Sydney. I know went out to Linfield for a playoff game, uh, and Linfield and Rowan played way way back in two thousand five, maybe. Yeah, but um. But now this is a regular season home and home, and it gets Linfield out of that um, that rut of oh, always having to play a Texas team to get a game because nobody else would would take them. Um, so I found that one interesting, and they and then they go to Redlands after that, and then their first conference game is one of the Oregon teams. So that Linfield's actually out of state for their first three games this year, which I think is interesting. Uh, North Central opens up at Christopher Newport, yeah. which I don't I don't know if that's a great clash, but it's just two random D3 teams you haven't seen get together too often. And then uh, this, I think, is going to be a really big game, top 25-wise. Uh, Washington Jefferson opens up with Wittenberg. That's a, those are three really nice matchups for sure. I agree with you about CNU versus North Central, um, but it is cool to see that, you know, just, again, like you said, two teams we would never have really thought about pairing up getting the getting the opportunity to play yeah there's another one too that that stood out to me uh alfred and george fox which is kind of like two two teams that were you know second third place in in pretty good conferences uh last year one of those teams is going to end up with a pretty nice early season win that they may be able to build off of i did not i don't remember even seeing that one the ones that jumped out to me of course are the ones that uh, the ones that bother me because they're D three schools playing non D three schools, and uh, I saw that Stetson in Florida is playing three Division three schools this year. They're playing Western New England, they're playing North Carolina Wesleyan, and they're playing Louisiana College. So if you don't know uh, Stetson, of course, is a D one school. Uh, they're in the Pioneer League. That means they're in uh, D one FCS, and the Pioneer League does not give scholarships. Uh, Stetson started football in 2013 but they had only played in those previous six years or whatever it is uh one a, a total of one division three opponent so i was just kind of interested to see why that happened I, I don't really uh i i hope that i hope these guys are uh, of ours western new england nc wesleyan and louisiana college are all getting good paydays out of this because otherwise i i don't know how this came about yeah, and, and I guess there are certain times when you can't fill a schedule and you have to do what you have to do to, to play a game. And, you know, if you folks like us care a lot about uh, D3, playing D3, and I think it, it certainly matters for, for playoff yeah. participation purposes, but it's always better than having no game or a game against the club team where they don't even play by NCAA rules necessarily. So they're... Uh, you know, I don't know how much to knock them, but it's certainly it doesn't really have any appeal. I think uh, I think to uh, to us. When we come back, we're going to talk with Jackson Erdman. He's the quarterback for St. John's and the Gillardi Trophy winner. I got to talk with him a little while ago after the Gillardi Trophy ceremony. I've that uh, interview to to bring you. I mentioned uh, Dustin Johnson, the head coach at William Patterson. We'll talk with him about uh, trying to, I would say, rebuild that program, but they haven't had a winning season since 1993, so maybe rebuilding is not the best word to use. And then um, we're going to talk more with Keith about the uh, Street and Smiths preview and you know the fact that, A, 
there's a there will be a preseason magazine worth buying for Division Three information for the first time in forever. And B, all of the research that uh, went into that and what he gleaned out of that, because obviously that's a that's a deep dive into a bunch of programs that, uh, like he said, we would normally do in July and August in preparation for kickoff. And hey, you know, this is a podcast. This podcast is something that, uh, you know, costs us money to do and costs us money to create and and costs us time. So sponsor us. That's all I have to say. Now in the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, I'm joined by Jackson Erdman, the now uh, soon-to-be senior quarterback for the Johnnies of St. John's and the winner of the 2018 Gallardi Trophy. We're talking after this Gallardi Trophy ceremony, which was held uh, back in February in front of a, a crowded house of Johnny alums, some of whom you may still hear in the background. So uh, first of all, Jackson, I guess congratulations, even though you know this has been something that you've known about for quite a while. What did it feel like, first off, I guess back in December when you found out that you had, uh, that you had won this award? Oh, uh, you know, a lot of shock to be honest. You know, uh, j- just to be nominated for the award uh, was was such an honor. And but yet, yet alone to receive this, I'm very, very thankful. Um, considering you know the year St. John's has had with our legendary coach John Glardy passing away, it, it's pretty special to be able to bring home the St. John's Trophy back to St. John's or the Glardy Trophy back to St. John's. Excuse me. <laughs> I think you you're entitled to call it that at least for the next uh, few months or so. Um, yet to and to be in a position where you are not only nominated for the award but a finalist, and then of course to win it as a junior, which is, you know, not completely unprecedented, but still pretty rare for an award of this magnitude. Yeah, and you know, that that has to all do with my teammates and coaching staff. You know, I, I mentioned in my speech here that we have the best specialty guys in the nation. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, show that on paper, but because we're so deep, we were able to spread the ball out, and that's what made us so hard to stop. So kudos to the, all those guys. You know, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for everyone, and then the coaching staff putting together a great game plan. So I'm very, very excited to have one more year. I've obviously heard a lot of post-Gallardi Trophy acceptance uh, speeches. I think you're the first uh, person I've heard specifically call out and thank the guys on the scout team, Uh, specifically uh, Jake Lucas. So Jake introduced himself to me here at this event before... Uh, before the event started, he didn't even mention that he was a, a football player. Very, uh, you know, uh, just a, a very humble, humble, unassuming guy. Tell us a little bit more about him. Yeah, you know, I look up to, the, we call him Jay Louie, Jacob Lucas. Jay Louie, uh, you know, he he's a senior on the scout team safety. You know, that's tough to do. Um, and he, he would go and watch film with the coaches just to try to learn and grasp the best way or give the best look possible at practice to prepare us as an offense. And, you know, that's just so cool. Like, I look up to Jay Louis so much. I love him to death. And he, he would be there every practice trying to get the scout team in shape. Not trying. He would get the scout team in shape. And that would just help us so much as a team. So we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't have had the season we had without Jacob Lucas. He's just a great guy. He does so much. Go check out the Cause International. He works with that. Um, it, it's, a, it's a clothing company that gives back to, you know, people in need. It, they have great clothes, great cause. Go check out him and Antoine Taylor, another St. John's alum, run that. But j- j- just quality guys, you know, on on the field. You'll find that St. John's, but I love him to death. Just just great guy. Uh, while we're plugging something, I'll just tell people to go listen to my podcast. Now that's what we're doing right now. Uh, tell us a little bit. I know you know there's been much publicized about some of the community service work that you've done. And if I were doing the uh, the interview before the Gallardi Trophy ceremony, like we've done at uh, Stag Bowls past, this would be something I would definitely ask you about. So tell us a little bit about you know some of the community service work you've done. Yeah. So in the past, I actually had an awesome opportunity to go on a mission trip to Thailand or a service trip with a guy I met at church named Steve, Steve Weigel and. Uh, we worked with different organizations that fight child sex trafficking over there. 
Um, so that, that, that was a life-changing experience. And then currently back home, I help out with an ESL class. That's an English as second language class up in uh, St. Joseph, Minnesota. Um, so just kind of help out there. I could see myself doing that in the future. Uh, so it's a good way to you know, get some experience and then give back as well. I understand you're not on campus much this semester. Correct. I'm currently not enrolled at St. John's because uh, I need one class to graduate. So I'm going back in the fall, going to finish out senior year and then graduate as well. But, you know, I, I'm up there on a bit. I could participate in non-football uh, activities that are like non-structured. So still grab a couple guys once in a while and go throw. We have a dome, which is a great facility. So that's huge. Um, but I, I still visit a lot, too. But no, I'm not currently enrolled at St. John's. I got you. So is it ballroom dancing? What's that last class? <laughs> I wish. It's, a, it's a, like a senior project class. So I actually have to go to it, unfortunately. Uh, I'm just kidding. I love school. But uh, no, not, not uh, ballroom dancing. What's it like practicing and just working out in the winter with the, you know, especially the winter that we had in Minnesota, like 36 plus inches of snow, probably even more up in Collegeville. What's it like just to try to haul yourself out there and do that on a regular basis? Yeah, you know, it's really tough. Uh, our, our apartment, there's snow absolutely like mounted up against the door. So we open the door, there's just snow sitting there. And then it's cold walks in the wind. Luckily, St. John's is a small campus, so they're not too far walks. But, you know, everyone on the team, we got that mindset. We want the national championship. You know, we're going to do what it takes. So we're, we're still putting in that work and everything. Just got to wear a couple extra layers on the early morning walks. Well, it is interesting, you know, we, you know, we, often you know about guys who take that semester off so that you preserve that final semester and that final year of eligibility so you can come back and play again. But I don't think we've ever talked to anybody who's, you know, currently in the middle of that right now. So what's your daily life like at, uh, like at this point? Yeah, so my uncle runs an engineering company in the city, so I work there during the week, live at home. I still find time to work out and uh, still doing a little bit of rehab on my shoulder, separate the shoulder, but... <laughs> jumping the gun a little bit but uh, and then I'll go up to St. John's uh, and then be able to throw out the guys in the dome hang out talk to coaches go over film and stuff um, so yeah it's, it's kind of a complicated schedule at times goes on a weekly basis but that's about the gist of it yeah so how is your shoulder doing then it, it's it's good you know uh, it was grade three separation so they say six eight weeks um it's, it's been over that now so working back into the heavy lifting and training and everything but yeah it, it's healthy is there something like when that happens in the course of a game and you know, adrenaline's running and you know it's you're the you know the, you're the starting quarterback for a team playing in the national quarterfinals? How did that affect you? How did that feel, et cetera? Kind of the final few minutes of that game with that? Yeah, well, I've never had a shoulder injury, so didn't really know what it was. Um, but knew it was it was bothering me a little bit, so I was just trying to get my pads off as fast as possible and put on this brace that the trainer told me to, and then get on making it in time for the next drive. So that's what was going through my head. And then uh, just kind of like hold the arm tight a little bit, which my quarterback coach actually said I threw better with the separated shoulder because I was keeping the left arm tight. That's throwing mechanics, but uh, so that's what he always says. So maybe it was a good thing I separated it. The left arm is not your throwing shoulder, right? Correct, correct. It wasn't my throwing shoulder. So that, that would have made things a little more difficult. Um, so, you know, uh, a good number of guys coming back. Uh, some key uh, graduations, especially I think on the defensive side of the ball and maybe up front for you uh, on offense as well. So what does it look like for you guys? Because here, you know, uh, Coach Foshing talked about this being a, an opportunity to go for a national championship. And I don't think anybody out there in the Division Three landscape would disagree with that. This is a, an opportunity for St. John's. Oh yeah, and that's the mindset going in. You know, every, every day at conditioning or any team uh, event, uh, St. John's, we break it down, Natty Champs on three, one, two, three, Natty Champs, you know, that's the mindset going in. And yeah, we lose a lot of great guys, you know, both sides of the ball, 
but St. John's were so deep. Uh, we got good guys coming in. We just got to all be on the same page, building the chemistry, what they're doing right now. And yeah, yeah, we're excited. All right, so looking forward a little bit to uh, the uh, Johnny Tommy game, which I appreciate, by the way, that you said it backwards. I got uh, I got some looks from people in the audience when you when you said it the other way. So let's talk about that for a second. Yeah, well, people, I always heard it pronounced Tommy Johnny, you know, and then coming up to St. John's it's Johnny Tommy, obviously. I uh, yeah misspoke a little here, um, corrected myself, obviously. But yeah, no, we're we're so excited. I've actually never played uh, in St. Thomas's Field because it was either Target Field or now it's going to be Alliance yeah. Field. Um, but you know, I'm not complaining. These are these are crazy cool atmospheres, and I know they've sold a lot of tickets already. Uh, so I, yeah, we're we're all super super pumped to play there. Yeah. So I know Allianz Field hasn't even opened yet. Uh, they'll be playing. Uh, it's like, what's the calendar worth? They'll play Major League Soccer in it right this spring, and then you guys will play the the first uh, the first football game in it. I assume. What's it like playing in some of these larger venues? Yeah, yeah, it, it's so cool. Um, it's, especially Target Field, you know, coming out, they got the grass, got the skyline in the background, you know, just all these different venues. It's just so exciting. I'm so thankful to be part of such a great rivalry and tradition, you know, where I have the opportunity to do that. Um, so I'm excited for this year again, new, new atmosphere. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be incredible. So I'm very, very excited. Is it anything like coming out at Penn State? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, the the noise. Um, I don't know if you can rival Penn State. Uh, that that's that's something else. But very loud at Tiger Field. We had to go to a silent cadence at times. I'm guessing we're gonna do the same this year. Um, so yeah, definitely both very very cool atmospheres. Those are primarily your fans making that noise. Uh, yeah, yeah. We have a great fan base, Johnny Nation. Love you guys. Um, but St. Thomas, they had a good turnout. Uh, at Target Field, and their student section was right where we had the ball a couple times, uh, right in the corner under the canopy. So like it would echo a little bit, you know. They, they, St. Thomas never nearly has as many, as many fans as St. John's, but still they made some noise. Keith, I really enjoyed having the opportunity to talk with uh, Jackson Erdman. He was obviously uh, in his element, in his moment, and uh, it was a it was a great conversation. Yeah, and you could really tell. Um, I mean, I think just from the way he talks, how his personality probably radiates why guys uh, on the on the Johnny's roster want to play for him, play with him. He seems uh, he seems unassuming, like, he, he, you know, the guy's there to take the award in D3 and he's like passing out the credit like a like a point guard or like a quarterback distributing to several receivers. Yeah. Right. He's um, gives the credit to his, his um, coaching staff and the line and all the people. But I, the thing that really stood out to me, and I, I don't know if I've ever heard this before, is to to give that much credit to a guy uh, on the scout team. And when you first hear it, you know, it sounds like eh, a little, maybe too good to be true, maybe a little trite. But but uh, a, that is a really important part of um, getting ready for games each week, right? He's like playing, getting a good look, coaches would call it. You know, they get it, playing someone who will uh, who will replicate what the opponent's going to do? Who will basically push you as hard as you can be pushed in practice, so that when Saturday rolls around, you won't see anything you haven't seen before. You won't um, be caught off guard or, or um, just have any nerves, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it, right? Because uh, you're, you've just been so well prepared during the week. I just don't know if I've ever heard of a scout team guy embracing his role to the degree where he shows up to study video of the opponent yeah. so they can give you that good of a look. I'll tell you the way we did it at, at Randolph Macon in the 90s. If you were on the scout team, they had they had the scout team, the other team's plays drawn up, and uh, we would huddle. They would show you the other team's play, and we would we would get lined up uh, the way the other team lines it up. So this was like 12 levels beyond that. 
Well, you've dug into uh, St. John's, I'm sure, for your preseason report for Street and Smiths. What's the scouting report on the Johnnies for 2019? I think the big thing that stands out is that uh, Jackson Erdman loses uh, not just Will Galach, but uh, five of the the top six receivers are gone for uh, for St. John's, and so it's very easy to say, oh, they got Jackson Erdman back. The offense should hum, and it's probably true that it will, but um, but it certainly would be a lot easier for the offense to pick up where it left off, especially one that um, that throws as much as the Johnnies do, and and really. Um, you know, they're not going to be a team that that hands off whatever a huge, you know, 40 times a game. So it really is dependent on on him finding some uh, some new targets. I think that's probably um, the biggest thing that came out of the, the the scouting report this this part of the season, losing five of the top six guys. And then the defense has some key guys back, um, but but doesn't have everybody. It's uh, kind of, you know, loses some of the best uh, defensive linemen. Uh, but they do have linebackers, Richard Caravo, James Inman, and defensive back James Lacasse are, are back to uh, give the defense a lift. So they have some some experience. And, you know, the Johnnies are one of the deepest programs in the country in terms of number of players in camp. Um, so they'll uh, – or just in the program overall. So I'm sure they'll, they'll uh, replace starters pretty well. And now on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by Dustin Johnson, the head coach at William Patterson University, entering his second season. If you remember him, you may remember him as a quarterback, starting quarterback for Salisbury. I would say back in the day, but, you know, this was after the turn of the century. So that day is is not that far back. <laughs> Dustin, first off, thanks for joining us. And second off, does it feel that far back for you? <laughs> thanks for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity. Uh, and it's starting to feel that way. My body's starting to break down and, you know, my bones hurt a little bit more when we're outside of practice now. So <laughs> class of 06 played at Salisbury from, uh, 02 to 05. Yes. We'll, we'll talk about playing days and post uh, collegiate playing days a little bit, but you are now, uh, entering your second season as head coach of William Patterson, uh, a program in the New Jersey athletic conference, which has really struggled uh, in recent years and has not had a winning season since 1993. So I guess my first question to you is what, what will it take to kind of turn that around and, you know, put some spark back into that program? Uh, you know, well, I think a lot of what it takes is just guys buying in, uh, guys starting to understand there's no shortcuts, you know, there's no shortcuts in life. Uh, we actually have to put the work in, in the classroom, um, we have to put the work in, you know, in the film room and then on the field. Uh, and I think the sooner I get our student athletes to really buy into being the full student athlete and really coming to enjoy the experience, um, you know, and, and guys wanting to earn their college degree and, and making it, you know, from freshman year to sophomore year and then sophomore year to junior year and having that maturity where they start to know the expectation of the football game. They start to know the expectation of being in class. And, you know, then being mature enough to, you know, handle, you know, being a college student athlete, you know, I think that's where it starts for us that, you know, those guys will be here as seniors, will be an older team, you know, will be a stronger team, will be a more mature team on the field. We'll, we have been in situations that, you know, you know, we won't, they won't be unfamiliar to us. So, you know, for us, the first thing is getting our guys to understand that, you know, earning your college degree is the most important part of this thing. And then, you know, if we can get those guys to be here until their senior year, you know, we'll have some talented young men that should be able to compete in the New Jersey Athletic Conference. 
when a, a new coach comes into a program that's struggling and, you know, usually brings in a different energy, wants to do things differently. Often, you know, some of the guys who were holdovers from the previous coach or previous administration uh, look at that change in attitude and decide that they, you know, that that's not for them. That isn't something that they feel that the, they can or want to be a part of. Was there a lot of turnover between you know, last year or I should say last fall and the guys who were back this spring for practice? Uh, actually, you know, the, the, when I got here in March, there were, you know, some great young men that were very connected to Coach Lasardi and Coach Williams. Uh, you know, these young men had uh, already been going through some of the, the spring workouts and with Coach Lasardi and Coach Williams remaining on staff, you know, I, it made it a lot easier for my transition. Also, it made it easier for the student athletes to, you know, say, you know, we're going to give this guy an opportunity to show us what he could do. And, you know, I give hats off to the kids that we had here on campus. Um, they were very receptive. Um, they were very receptive to my change. And, you know, I think a lot of them actually were, you know, just looking forward to, you know, a new beginning and, you know, looking forward to, you know, what what it would look like or what things look like a little different. So, you know, it, it was definitely, um, I would say it was, it, it was the kids here were, were they did a great job receiving me. You were, of course, as I mentioned, a quarterback at Salisbury, and uh, you're coordinating the offense in addition to being the head coach at William Patterson. But for uh, you know the the stretch of your uh, assistant coaching career at Stevenson uh, up until about a little over a year ago, you were the defensive coordinator. So what was it? Uh, how how was it like, kind of you know, learning that side of the ball, taking over that side of the ball, and frankly, making a you know, working with a really good defense at Stevenson. You know, well, obviously being a quarterback, you kind of get to, to see the, the full field. Um, you get the big picture. You, you, you learn a lot about front. You learn a lot about different coverages. Uh, you know, you learn a lot about reads and things like that in the passing game. Uh, so, you know, even though we were a triple option offense, we actually ran a run and shoot passing game. Um, you know, and, and just knowing those little ins and outs and, you know, understanding how – you know, we can put guys in different leverages and, you know, change, you know, the quarterback's eye point and, and, and know what the quarterback's trying to trigger on and what his key focus points are and putting guys in different situations. Uh, I think it, was, it, it helped me a lot defensively um, to prepare our players, you know, because they understood, you know, if the quarterback's looking here, this is why he's doing it or, or this is the concept that's going to come, you know, off of a certain formation or look, you know. Uh, so I really think, you know, having that experience playing on the offensive side of the ball uh, really helped on the defense, um, you know, and just helping with game preparation and, and getting our guys prepared mentally um, in the film room. Uh, as far as I can tell, you guys uh, did not run the triple offense, uh, triple option offense at William Patterson last year. So is that uh, what, what – uh, What's that transition like to, you know, taking uh, something that, you know, obviously, like I said, playing your playing days are a little bit uh, are, are, are back in the rearview mirror a little bit. But what's it like kind of just taking that and doing something different than you had grown up doing? Well, you know, it was coming in and it was seeing you know, what type of kids we have in our program here first and, and then trying to figure out what what scheme best fit us. Uh you know, just to say we were going to come in and run a triple option to do it, you know, wouldn't be fair to the kids in the program. So, you know, we, we really tried to base it off of the type of student athletes we have here. Um, you know, the guys who run the triple option down on the Eastern Shore, I think they were the number one rush offense in the country this year. So, you know, they do a fantastic job. And, you know, one of the things that 
you know, I, I also wanted to do was be a little bit different. You know, when you look around the landscape of our league, um, offensively, you know, I, I think we are a little bit different than the rest of the teams in our conference. You know, so that was something that, you know, I wanted to be unique with, uh, you know, and being able to play, you know, spread. And, you know, everyone has a version of the spread and how they do it nowadays. Um, you know, and I think ours is just a little bit different than, you know, some other teams that we'll play against, which puts pressure again back on the defense. To at least they have to prepare for us. I just want to reiterate, you said you referred to your alma mater as the guys who run the triple <laughs> off down on the Eastern Shore. Are you, are you allowed? Are you not allowed to say the name? Would it be different if you guys weren't in the same conference? Uh, you know, yeah, it would be a little different if I wasn't in the conference with them. But, you know, those guys know I have a ton of respect for them. Uh, I mentioned the Salisbury name um, a lot around our campus and our office. And, you know, when I when I look at kind of where William Patterson, the program is right now, it reminded me of, you know, when I stepped into Salisbury University and being able to go in and, you know, play for for Coach Sherman Wood, um, you know, it was just, it was an amazing experience. And, and one of the, one of probably the best decisions I made as a, a young student athlete. And I think that that's what we're trying to do and recreate here in, in New Jersey. Well, that kind of leads into my next question too, is like, now that you've had a, a full year of recruiting, you've got a, a full class coming in under your belt. What's the sales pitch that you're going out there and talking to prospective student athletes with about William Patterson football? Uh, well, William Patterson, you know, we, we think we're a pretty good athlete. We're, we're, we're a pretty good uh, university. Um, we got a great location, you know, and, and our communications department, our, our business department, business admin and business comms, um, departments are very strong. They're sought after programs. Um, our music department is, is actually a well-renowned, uh, program department. So, you know, we, this is somewhere where we think that your college degree actually can mean something when you graduate. So, you know, when I was a young student athlete, the things that were important to me, um, was my degree going to help me get a job once I graduated? And I think that we can do that here. Uh, is the head coach someone that, you know, is going to help support me uh, academically, but also athletically uh, make me better, uh, you know, and then do I have an opportunity to compete? You know, and I, and I think if we can check those boxes, um, that is something that, you know, young student athletes are definitely interested in. You guys are in the middle of spring ball right now. What's spring practice look like for you guys this season? Uh, you know, we, we, like I said, we've got some young men out here uh, competing. We, we were very young last year. Uh, we had about 47 freshmen um, that, that played for that were on the team, and we probably played about 80 to 85% of those guys. So, um, you know, now it's just a lot of refining. You know, when I'm meeting with the coaches right now, um, the one thing that is, you know, resounding on our film is uh, guys know – what the what what our terminology has got now guys understand our plays our concepts our calls and we aren't lining up and thinking about what we're doing now we're talking about technique and how do we take the proper first step how do we get our second step on the ground where do our hands go you know if we're seeing this coverage how do we make an adjustment you know so right now i think we're, we're, we're light years ahead of where we were last spring of course yeah. And as I look back, you know, we ran the story about your hiring basically right about this time, right in the yes, with, with the final week of March. So you must have uh, you must have jumped right into right into spring practice this time last year. 
Yes, sir. So, yeah, we jumped right in, and, you know, it was funny because <laughs> some of the seniors weren't too happy about it, but uh, the first five or six practices, we, we, we didn't touch a football. So, <laughs> uh, and that gave our coaches some time to, you know, figure out what, what exactly we were doing and, you know, try to give us an opportunity to install, um, you know, and then once we were really installing, you know, with the kids, it was the first time anyone in the program had heard, you know, the verbiage, the terminology, what it is we're doing, you know. So it, it was a big learning curve last year, and which, you know, of course it went into camp. And, again, now you mix in a new, you know, 50 freshmen that are now hearing that for the first time, you know, so they're all learning it. And the kids that you only had, you know, really probably eight practices with, they're, they're not in a position where they can teach, you know, the younger guys underneath of them yet. Um, but now, you know, now that we've started spring practice, that there's a little bit more maturity. There's a little bit more comfortability that guys understand, you know, what our formations are, you know, so now we can, we can really refine our, their game and their skill and their technique. You were talking earlier about wanting uh, your collegiate career to set you up for a job and for life Ooh. after graduation. And, you know, for uh, a, a, a pretty elite handful of Division three football players, some of them are preparing for an opportunity to possibly get drafted into the NFL or get to, uh, an invite into an NFL rookie camp, maybe make, uh, you know, camp in the training camp in the summer. Um, you played uh, a couple of years of pro ball, uh, arena ball after graduation. What's it like for, you know, someone who's going in that direction and, you know, what's the, what, what would a kid be preparing for? What would, uh, what would that life be like? Uh, you know, uh, I guess what you're preparing for, if you're heading down the arena path is, um, you know, it's an opportunity. We all, you know, a lot of us got into this to have a chance to play at the highest level. Um, we all, you know, may not make it at that far, uh, you know, but I would say, you know, what you're preparing for is an opportunity to continue to play the game that you love, you know, and that that's what it was for me. Um, unfortunately, you know, coming out my senior year, I was injured. So, you know, my shot to do the, you know, the pro day and run the 40, um, I was rehabbing. Uh, which, you know, I had a 17-month rehab before I could actually, you know, get back out and go to some of the uh, the workouts and the, and the combines and stuff like that. Um, you know, but really it, it's a lot of, you know, you can expect the, the passion for the game and to go out and compete with some with older guys. And, you know, I'd say the most unique thing was the maturity level of some of the, the guys who have been in the league or been playing professional for five, six, seven, eight years. Um I, I think the way that they were w really willing to just help, you know, rookies um, and, and coach rookies up when they're when they're coming in at that level really blew me away, you know, because you hear how competitive it is and you know it's a, you know, everybody's competing, but it was a different kind of compete. You were competing, but you know, we were competing to win championships, you know, in the organizations we went to, and guys wanted, you know, wanted to win, and you know, obviously you get a get a little money on the side, which is good to good to good to have. Keith, I, I know I called him out for it, uh, actually, in the interview, but I had to just mention one more time, the guys who run the triple offense down on the Eastern Shore. I, I just thought that was a, a hilarious way to reference your alma mater when it's someone that you also have to face off as an opponent with. I mean, think about it, right? You, uh, you go to a school, and you, you're like pro whatever school you go to, and you have your seven or ten rivals, and you probably pick a few out of those what you you just don't like them. They yeah. beat you up bad every year or you know their fans are boorish, whatever it is. Um 
I know for like for for us, we had great games with Catholic. Um, so we kind of respected them. And then Emory and Henry, we also had great games with them. But uh, for whatever reason, I didn't like those guys. So imagine you get the job at the place where you now you um, because there are only a limited number of jobs to go around. You make certain connections once you start coaching. Now you you play against your alma mater and uh, suddenly all that gear you have in your closet or your drawer and you don't want to wear it as much anymore. You're like, I know I went there, but I represent, in this case, William Patterson now. And everything I do is is now about building this school up. And we may do it in the image of of Salisbury because that's that's where I learned a lot of, of what I learned. But it, um, it is certainly interesting for you to go from hating or disliking or just saying, eh, I got to, you know, those guys, they just. I, I'm tired of them. I, I don't want to see them anymore. To now, you're one of them, and uh, and you you know you have to play against the school you formerly loved. William Patterson down for quite a while now uh, under the previous coach. Uh, two two and eight seasons, an zero and ten season in 2017, and then zero and ten again last year in uh, Johnson's first year. Yeah, and I would say too, like William Patterson and Salisbury, not necessarily naturally connected like for those of you who, who are listening to this from texas or out west or the midwest salisbury is eastern shore of maryland william patterson is north jersey they are i don't know four hour drive three hour drive like not too far away to be in the same conference but there are 10 other d3 schools in between the two of them so they're not like natural rivals or anything yeah. and as you mentioned pat salisbury's been very good for the past 10 15 years uh National championship in '86, I believe, uh, or or Stag Bowl appearance. Very, they've had some very good teams in the past. It's Dan Quinn's alma mater, who we True. may know as the uh, Atlanta Falcons coach, and then William Patterson. Like, I don't know what we could say about William Patterson that would resonate with our audience. Um, yeah, uh, for about their football history, it just hasn't been a good one. Uh, they've kind of always, for as long as we can remember, been been an also ran in the NJAC. Yeah, I agree. I just don't know what the distinguishing factor is there because they really haven't done anything to distinguish themselves. I just think it's really interesting because every program is trying to get to where the top tier programs are. And some some of the top teams stay on top. Some some of them cycle through over the years. And, and just because you have the plan and you put it in place doesn't always necessarily mean it works or it works quickly. And that's uh, it's a, it's a very complicated thing to do, as we all know, because all 250 teams can't win at the same time. Or I, I guess we're under 250 this year, Pat. Yeah, we're going to be at 247 for this year because we lose Frostburg to Division Two, we lose Thomas Moore to the NAIA, and then we lose Earlham, which uh, is uh, taken what they state as a year hiatus from football, and then we'll see if they manage to get a, a team back on the field in 2020. Keith, uh, losing Frostburg State obviously opened someone uh, opened up a spot for the preseason top twenty-five. So why don't we just segue right into that? Sure. It's a uh, an, a situation where we have, like you said, we we've we've all in the past kind of fed into a collective preseason top twenty-five, and I have done those things too. I, I did them for USA Today both while we were. Uh, both at the company and then after uh, after we both left, I did freelance for a couple of years. It is interesting and it's difficult to do this time of year. And then you end up putting your name on it. Uh, whereas you know, in the past, people like us would then go look at Street and Smiths or Sporting News and. Uh, I don't know, Dominic DiRienzo or some other random name does a preseason top 25 and look at it and go, well, that doesn't make any sense. What's that guy thinking? 
Well, yeah, and I mean, I think there may be some people that look at mine and, and say that, but the the one thing you know is that I, I have, have seen a whole <laughs> bunch of D3 games, talked to people in D3 um, last season and, of course, uh, for this preview. So I uh, had a handful of conversations with coaches, exchanged some emails with, with SIDs, just so we're dealing with um, we know who's coming back this year because it, it is weird um, – to know to to know this early, like the, when I was talking to the coaches, they hadn't even started spring ball yet, and so um, I think they're key. Like you know, nobody's going to unseat Jackson Erdman um, or D'Angelo Fulford or anyone like that. But there are even at these big giant programs that have um, national championship aspirations, there are huge question marks. And so uh, just because you were number two or number five or number ten last year doesn't mean you necessarily slot back in there. And I do think, Pat, you can relate to this. It's um, it's this is like being naked a little bit. Like your whole your top twenty five is out there for everyone to see, yeah. for everyone to scrutinize. And usually, you and I, we vote once. We feed into the poll. And so, if I have a real weird opinion, like Cortland State is tenth in the country or whatever, the other twenty four folks are there to to smooth it out. And uh, and it and it feeds into what generally is a really good top twenty five. In this case, this is me trying to project some things that are going to happen this year where a team that was maybe number one in the conference backslides to number two and number three, someone else takes their spot. Um, and and uh, it's going to look, I promise you this, when you see the top 25, um, it's going to look a lot different than the the end of season top 25 from last year. Well, and I don't mind pushing people to the newsstand uh, to get all of this information and not, uh, you know, spilling it all here. Because similarly, we want people to then buy kickoff and get everything about all 247. I hope that's the right number. 247 teams uh, coming up this fall. But what are the what are uh, one or two of the highlights that, uh, you know, those things where you think people might look at it and be surprised by teams switching places? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that is the 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 biggest thing or one of the first places to start is uh, to find those programs that finished last season just outside the top 25 that may replace programs who were who were definite top 25 programs this year. So the first one that jumps out, of course, you look at the end of last season, Frostburg State finishes right around number 10 in the poll. They're not even they're not going to be in D3 this year. So you, you who's going to win the NJAC and does that team automatically slot in at the same spot as Frostburg was? Um or um, do you just not rank an NJAC team? You know, you don't automate, you don't have to sub them in necessarily, right, in the same place. I was intrigued by Wesley because, as I've mentioned, probably on every podcast, Wesley <laughs> lost uh, three games by one point last year and another game by two points. It was a tough year for for Chip Knapp taking over for um, for Mike Dress, but his team wasn't bad. And so those are the kind of teams you look closely at and say, all right, can can they turn these results around? Uh, people like Montclair State out of the NJAC as well. I didn't rank them, and so I could be wrong. I, I went with Wesley, but um, could couldn't be in Montclair State. All we know for sure, it's not going to be Frostburg State again. Uh, another case where that is, I thought there was some high-profile change, I guess, is Empire 8. I ended up uh, ranking Alfred. They have the All-American caliber running back in uh, Smith. They have another uh, All-American caliber player on defense. Back, uh, Brockport State loses a lot. Like It's not just Joe Germanario not going back, but it's also they lost Austin Dean, who was the D3football.com All-Region East Region Defensive Player of the Year. They lost 
I think six guys, they had six guys who were all region uh, first, second, or third team last year. And the one guy back is a linebacker off the third team. So it's not just not having the quarterback back um, that, uh, that had me rank Alfred instead of Brockport. Um, and I got a lot of feedback about Cortland state as well. I ended up not putting them in the top 25, but, um, but those are the kind of things you have to sort through. We are like an empire eight team, certainly going to end up in, in the top 25, maybe two, maybe three. You don't, you just don't know. Um, it could, it could be Alfred and Brockport and Cortland, uh, or it could just be Alfred or it could be that Brockport is so good that, that, you know, J- that, that Jason Mangone has now got them to a point where, um, they can reload. That's part of the fun of of seeing the season. But when you're doing the top 25 and you're looking at there are more conferences than places in the top 25, you got to figure out, uh, you know, who's who's who to be optimistic about this year and who to be not so optimistic about. Well, and for people who don't know, I mean, uh, Keith just mentioned uh, Joe Germanario, the quarterback at Brockport, not being there next year. Uh, you know, we haven't done a story on the site about this because there isn't much of a story to write. We don't know where he's going. He might go somewhere in division three. He might go, uh, apparently he might go somewhere to play defense. He might, you know, as a guy who started out his career at a, at a, at a higher level of college football might try to finish his career there. But of course he'd have to sit out a year before he uh, could uh, go to a scholarship school. That's something that's, uh, that's really interesting. And and of course, uh, you know, Brockport did not quite, live up to expectations last year with having German Ario back with having a bunch of those guys who you just mentioned uh, who were back on defense and who were seniors. The defense did great as you know, in, in basically every category, but uh, in, in a lot of cases, the offense kind of let them down. And, and I think that team this year is, is probably Johns Hopkins, which they come back with that same level of expectation. You went to the final four, you're respectable in Brockport's case, respectable game against, at Mary Harden Baylor, Johns Hopkins, um, at Mount Union, fell a touchdown short. You have your All American quarterback or All American level quarterback back to certainly debate over, uh, you know, Erdman or Brock Rutter or Fulford or David Tamaro. But Hopkins has a quarterback. They they have some key parts back, and so naturally you set the expectations that we should go. We want to go one step further than we went last season. We went to the semifinals this year. We want to win the Stag Bowl. And it's certainly in the realm of possibility. But it also could be that you have a great regular season like Brockport did. You run into RPI in the second round of the playoffs. Don't play your best game. And suddenly that's that everything that built up to that, that this time we're going back to the Stag Bowl now feels like a disappointment. So there, I mean, it could be an, an exciting season. And, and I think what was interesting in talking to, to Greg Kamara who is now the head coach at Johns Hopkins is he's very aware of how tough the Centennial conference has become so that he knows. Yeah, we were a touchdown or a couple of pick sixes away from potentially going to the stag bowl last season, but we were also a couple of plays from not even winning the Centennial conference and not even being in the playoffs last season. So they're the way D three is set up and anybody who's listened to the podcast probably knows this is that, there's a pretty thin line between between being a team that could advance a few rounds in the playoffs and a team that is eight and two sitting at home. Yeah, or nine and one sitting home for sure. And, and I think the other big thing that that came out of doing this this preview at this early, it was just it was just easy to put teams in two buckets. Uh, the bucket of we have a quarterback back, in which case <laughs> pro- 
probably pretty optimistic about them. Yeah. Uh, and then we don't have a quarterback back. And does that mean, you know, does it necessarily mean you're going to, you're going to take a step back, right? Mary Harden Baylor lost Blake Jackson. They went back to the stag bowl the next year. They lost a quarterback from that stag bowl team and went back and won the stag bowl this year, right? With, with Jace Hammock. So it can be done. Does it just because you lose your quarterback doesn't mean you can't be good the next season, but it's just so easy at, at the beginning of doing this is, is to put, okay. Um, Mountain Union quarterback back, St. John's quarterback back, Whitewater, no idea, right? They have to replace Cole Wilbur. Hopkins quarterback back, St. Thomas, no idea. Um, Harden Simmons, don't know. North Central, Brock Rudder. Yeah. Wheaton, no idea. Bethel, Jaron Rossi, and you can just go down the whole the whole thing like that. Um, the One of the interesting ones that stood out to me from the quarterback is back group is um, Winfield with Wyatt Smith back, but um, – Joe Smith, who's Wyatt Smith's dad and also the head coach at Linfield, uh, is handing over the offensive play calling to Brett Elliott and Aaron Bomey, who you guys might remember if you're longtime Linfield fans or longtime D3 followers. Those are two former Linfield quarterbacks, and now they're co-offensive coordinators who are going to wo- work with a third-year starting quarterback. Um, and that's that's one of Linfield's big um, – question marks i guess going into the season how how much can they get out of uh out of white smith now's the time on sprockets where we dance that was the time of the podcast where we go to twitter we know if it's the off season and there's still questions even if the audience is a little smaller but we're going to throw that reminder out to hit us up when uh, keith and i are ready to step into the studio and uh this podcast question comes from jacob hill who is at john jake 28 Asking, given the strength of Rose Holman's non-conference schedule, is it possible to see two teams from the HCAC if Rose beats either Mountain Union or St. John's? Keith, I think this is the piece that in the re-edit and re-recording of Pod 235, I think that's what we dropped. We had intended to talk about Rose Holman's schedule and might not have. So as this person notes, Rose Holman has both uh, Mountain Union and St. John's on the schedule, and that's a a pretty ambitious non-conference slate. Yeah, so I mean, the the answer to the question is pretty simple. If you beat Mountain Union or uh, St. John's, you probably do have a, a, a at-large playoff chance, even if you don't win the conference. But those are the teams that are probably going to start the season number two and number three in the poll. So yeah. um, it's a super huge uh, ask, I mean, to be totally honest. The Mountain Union game is at Rose-Holman. That, that's kind of fun. Um, and I believe uh, they, are, they are at St. John's. But um, – the most direct path to any and to the playoffs for any team is through the conference title. And I think for Rose Holman, if you got Mountain Union and St. John's on the schedule, part of the reason you can take those games is because your your chance to get in is still valid uh, if you if you win the conference. And that way, you get to see where you stack up against two of the best teams in the country. You get to put your players in an atmosphere at St. John's in November that they'll probably always remember. Uh, for the rest of their lives and you know whether or not you win that game or you you stay within 20 points or it's a blowout that's a thing that not too many people get to do play in one of the great venues in d3 uh play playing against one of those the stacked programs in d3 but i mean to answer the question i think you 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 really go into the season um not expecting to win either of those games but but expecting that if you if you get something out of that first mountain union game some confidence or you, you figure out where you stack up uh, and then you you know you open up the conference slate three weeks later at Manchester and and then you have Franklin. Um, you, you're just trying to win the conference and get in the postseason that way. 
Yeah, for anybody who's new to the playoff system or hasn't had to worry about or think about at-large bids in the past, there are 32 bids to the NCAA Division III playoffs, and 27 of them this year will be automatic bids. So basically, if you're going to be one of those five, it's going to be really difficult for an 8-2 and two team to do it. But if, uh, if there's an 8-2 and two team that has a win against St. John's or a win against Mountain Union, yeah, at least there's a possibility. What I don't think is that it reflects necessarily on the rest of the HCAC. And as I, I look at Jacob's question, is it possible to see two teams from the HCAC? Um, yeah, the only team that benefits from this is Rose Holman. Nobody else in the HCAC benefits from Rose playing Mount Union or St. John's. But it does bring up a, a pretty valid point that we spend a lot of time looking at the one loss, the nine and one teams and the eight and two teams that aren't automatic uh, bid winners and saying, well, who did they lose to? They had a close loss to a really good team. And while that does mean something, and I think we should put some stock in that, it also really helps to beat somebody good. Yeah, right. Yeah, and then so they would have to. And then they would have a conference loss against someone like Franklin or Hanover, obviously, to really, really muddy the waters. So to send us a Twitter question of the podcast, you just hit us up at, at D3Football. And uh, don't forget to use the D3FB hashtag when tweeting about Division Three football. And this was D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, number 236, released on March 31st, 2019. Late on March 31st, 2019, just under the gun, assuming the computer doesn't crash. So thanks for listening and tune in for the rest of our coverage throughout the offseason. If you like this podcast, there are things you can do to help raise the visibility of the podcast. One of them is by rating it in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or anywhere you get podcasts. Share it with a friend. Tweet about it using the D3FB hashtag. Lots of ways to help other Division Three football fans find out about what we do every month during the offseason and then weekly or, God forbid, more often during the regular season. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using that D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football. Keith is at D3Keith. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. You can join the conversation by registering to post at D3Boards.com. And also you can follow us on Facebook. The executive producer of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music is by DJ Mentos, and you can find him at DJMentos.com. Thanks to our guests, Jackson Erdman, Dustin Johnson, and uh, sports information directors Ryan Klinkner and Heather Brocious for their time and assistance on this edition of our show. And, of course, thanks to the creator of Around the Nation on D3Football and my co-host, Keith McMillan. Yep, still off-season mode. Uh, now that basketball is over, there will be new content on d3football.com on a more regular basis, but we continue to follow coaching changes, players with pro prospects, the 2019 football schedule, and more, and you'll find a new podcast from us in April. I had to sneeze. <laughs> gotcha. You ca it caught me off guard. I was like, the suspense. What? What? <laughs> What is going to be on the website? What do we follow? What do we follow, for goodness sake? He can't hear me. He doesn't hear me. Tell him I can hear. Tell him I can hear this. There'll be a time to, uh, to look at all this stuff and to reflect, but now's not the time.